0: Welcome to Authenticity, Belonging, Community, where I explore the ABCs of inclusivity by conversing with interesting guests from a variety of fields and disciplines about how they foster inclusive workplaces and communities. If that opening sentence, or the the beginning of that opening sentence, sounds slightly different to you, you are indeed correct, it is. I felt it was time to make a slight course correction and redefine what this show means. Rebrand it, if you will. Apply a more apt title for what listeners can expect. Here we are in season six of the show, and I found myself asking the question, what is Incognito the Podcast, the title by which this podcast was formerly known? Aside from the continuation of what is the corporate brand of my company, Incognito Incorporated, What does that title say about the podcast's content? Not much, really, is the answer I kept returning to. And so it was after much contemplation that I set out to get more specific and redefine what we're offering here. Thus, authenticity, belonging, community arose. More than anything else I can think of, those three words say more about what is discussed on this show. A distillation, if you will, of the ideas and topics discussed, uh, along with the methods and practices that guests use to embody each word's meaning. Quite obviously, authenticity is one of the final topics I discuss with guests. It's, It's one of the last questions. Yet, it is the thread that underlines most of the conversation, whether that is obvious or not. Guests have described authenticity with the following. Being honest with oneself and others, or true to oneself. Acting without an ulterior motive. Actively making a choice to be good to others. Being unapologetically you. Self-acceptance. Recognizing the light in others. Having and showing grace. Integrity. Respecting where people are coming from. Not allowing external forces to decide who we are. Transparency showing up in all our colors, knowing yourself and taking the time to know others, trusting yourself, not censoring ourselves, leaning in, a fullness of who you really want to be, being consistent, letting yourself be vulnerable, and having a clear self-awareness. These are but a few of the many different ways in which guests have shared what they consider to be authenticity. Belonging has become an added letter to the DEI label over the past few years, but that word really encapsulates the true nature of whether our individual identities or selves feel a part of a whole workplace or community. Are we seen, heard, and respected, valued, and appreciated in our workplace and outside? And if not... How do we go about making that happen? Essentially the question is, do I fit in? Whether one is feeling the pressure to cover, like putting a veil over our whole selves, hiding aspects that may be negatively perceived, or one is experiencing difficulty simply fitting in with the culture. Belonging, in many ways, is the one thing we all share in common. We all want to feel like we belong whether it is a part of a family, a a church, a community, a team, or or your office. We, We all want to feel as if we are a part of those spaces. On this podcast, I'm hoping to solicit the methods and practices guests use to help those around them feel they are a part of the whole. How do they set the table, as it were, on making their coworkers feel like they are valued and appreciated? What are the ways in which they build trust and, and why do they feel committed to erecting a framework that helps those around them feel valued? And finally, community. Yes, that is indeed what we are all attempting to create. If we are working from a sense of community as a feeling of fellowship with others, where we share things in common at a workplace or in a neighborhood, then we are all seeking to find ways in which we connect. Building community, relationships, and partnerships can not only heighten our overall sense of well-being, But it can lead to, as many studies have shown, better outcomes, bigger results, and greater profits. And whether you look at it from purely the standpoint of making money, the more community you create, the higher profits, financially and personally, you will obtain. And by adding the essentials of authenticity and belonging to this community, you will no doubt achieve a winning combination. As I've mentioned in a past podcast, the the driving reason for producing and hosting this show was for me to feel like I'm continuing to give even after I've visited a site with my one-man player or a workshop. Once I leave a place, I often feel like I have disconnected from what happens next. And although the work I present is powerful and I often hear from folks months after I've left, I still feel the need to continue the learning process. And let's be clear here i'm not being paid for this work <laughs> i offer this podcast the conversations the methods and tools guests share as a way for listeners to expand their arsenal to learn and grow and, and and if i'm honest i experience a great deal of learning learning myself as i engage with guests i see opportunities for transformation and becoming a better person and member of a community and society with all the negative news we are increasingly surrounded by, this feels rejuvenating to both engage in and to share. But I'm just one person, and you, whoever you may be, can be a vital part of this transformation by sharing this podcast with others. You, We've probably heard that phrase a million times, and if I'm not mistaken, it was attributed to Gandhi incorrectly, but Be the change you want to see in the world. It's a powerful plea to offer up goodness. I like to think this podcast is offering up goodness in the form of giving people tools, ideas, and methods to create community, verb and noun. So please spread the word. Share the podcast. Offer up some goodness solutions to help create a better society, community, and or workplace. And now, as the great comedic group Monty Python would say, for something completely different. There are so many things happening in the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging that it's difficult to keep up with it all. I mean, for listeners, you've heard me rail about several disturbing trends over the past couple of years, and things aren't exactly slowing down. There is yet a new trend I've been reading about over the past year or so that involves what I would consider a a pendulum swing way too far to the left. I am speaking of the push in academia to force, and I use that specific word consciously, to force teachers and prospective hires to sign what is called a diversity statement. Some educational institutions are requiring current staff to do so, especially from those who might be seeking a promotion or tenure, and some will not interview new hires without it included along with their CV. A diversity statement is an acknowledgement by the signee that they recognize systemic racism at their particular institution and are committed to the principles of change by utilizing DEI strategies in their own work and study. Some statements ask signees how they would contribute to diversity efforts, sometimes requesting examples of how they have fostered inclusion or an anti-racist learning environment. And now, apparently, a cottage industry has sprouted to help applicants craft such statements that will pass muster of the institution's judging committee. And, as one could have guessed, several states have passed laws banning such statements. And, of course, as I have mentioned in the past, there are a few states where DEI departments have become extinct. Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Wisconsin has mandated a contraction, Ohio might be next, and others are or may follow suit. I've read where teachers who've been generally supportive of DEI efforts on their campuses have openly questioned the value of such statements and how they might apply to say, I don't know, the mathematics which they teach. Call me crazy, but Doesn't this seem like some kind of an indoctrination? Or, or at the very least, virtue signaling? Are we now asking, check that, requiring teachers sign on to a particular statement of ideology? Don't get me wrong. I've been in the DEIB space for over 20 years now, and although I hold no degree or certificate in this field... I have been immersed deeply in all things DEIB, race, identity, etc., and consider myself well-informed. I certainly agree that most institutions in this country suffer from institutional racism, and I respect those in the DEIB field, those committed to anti-racist training, and others in their or our efforts to combat and change those, our, cultures." But demanding someone sign on to a document will not have the intended effect of actually affecting change. Change is action. Words are not action. Statements are not action. And forcing someone to sign on to a statement seems like an odd way to help those who might actually need some sort of enlightenment or training in this area, as well as those who might already be on board. In many ways, I see this akin to what are called land acknowledgements, whereby cultural institutions from museums to theaters are making statements acknowledging their buildings sit on what was at one time indigenous people's land. This may take the form of an announcement prior to the curtain at many theaters, or a blurb and a brochure at an exhibition of artwork. Look, I may be wrong, but are indigenous people all in on this effort? I imagine some are, but it's just as likely that some aren't. It seems if we are truly to expect change, there must be some kind of action attached to these statements, aside from simply an acknowledgement of basically, yeah, we took this land on which now rests an elite cultural institution. Seems kind of performative to me. In another article I read regarding diversity statements, uh. A mathematician originally from Russia compared these efforts to things he experienced in communist Russia. The people were forced to affirm their fealty to communist ideals. And look, I'm, I'm not comparing communism to racism, or in this case, anti-racism. Certainly, there is a bunch of these kinds of things happening, both left and right, in Ron DeSantis' Florida. He punishes those who contradict or push back on his agenda, as with the Disney Corporation. Trump is the epitome of this, and that anyone who contradicts him speaks poorly of him or disrespects him. He lashes out to punish, currently only via his truth social, but if we don't take him seriously enough, it could be via his DOJ. And then there have been protests of the war in Gaza, in which pro-Palestinian groups have been vilified by those who feel they've gone too far using inflammatory anti-Semitic language that borders on suggesting genocide. Whew. Perhaps we all need a time out, a moment to rest or reflect. Our anger has gotten the best of us, and it turned into the worst of us. We've also allowed factions of people to redefine concepts which have little or nothing to do with what they truly mean. CRT has become racism towards white people. DEI is creating reverse racism in companies and law firms. Some are hammering away at the great harm they claim these concepts are doing. Pulling us apart, they claim. Look, DEI efforts should not be used as a cudgel to beat someone. Look, okay, pardon me. (laughs) Politics aside, this effort to establish DEI principles in business and education is one that is rooted in people, not politics. We should come to the understanding that we are all human beings. And as I've said in my last podcast essay, we're all on the same team. We have different styles, different approaches, different ways we see things. But essentially, we've got to find a way to work together to advance the human species. I feel like a broken record here. Look, forgive me for repeating myself. And on that note of repetition... I also want to apologize for something I kept repeating in the conversations I had with guests in this upcoming season. Uh, Most of the interviews you'll hear in this upcoming season happened prior to the holidays, so I've had time to listen to them and reflect on what was discussed. And after listening a second or a third time, (laughs) I noticed I kept repeating the same phrases over and over. They obviously mean a great deal to me and carry a truly positive message, but I want to point them out. First, I continually make use of the line which was told to me by one of my guests quoting an episode of the Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. Here it comes. Be curious, not judgmental. Great quote, deep meaning, I simply love it. And it continually came up in conversations because it was relevant to what was being discussed. A, a, little, dip, dig, a little a little deeper digging, however, I discovered that, take two, in a little deeper digging, however, I discovered that in the episode in which this quote was used, Ted Lasso, played by actor Jason Sudeikis, attributes the quote to the great 19th century writer Walt Whitman. However, Whitman never said those words, apparently. (laughs) Anyway, Please forgive my continuous use of the quote, even though I am both a big Ted Lasso fan and obviously subscribe to the notion of said quote. I also probably repeatedly mentioned the tool, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Can't help myself. I have found it so useful, so uncomfortable, and so helpful again and again. I I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a room full of people and experienced a seriously uncomfortable moment during a conversation. I try to the best of my ability to sit with that uncomfort, sometimes allowing that to generate a thoughtful and or meaningful response, and sometimes not having any clear answer or response no matter how long I sit or try. This work is by no means easy and will not always achieve perfection, nor should we strive for it. We are not perfect. It is important for us to acknowledge and remember when embarking on this work or these conversations. We will make mistakes, and those with the ability to acknowledge them as well as set forth on a course of corrective action will be the ones with greater successes. (laughs) I... I hate to use the sports metaphor again, but since I just made that comparison in my last audio essay and earlier here, but I look at this work much like I might think about a player's batting average in Major League Baseball. Here's a ball player who practices day after day after day in the batting cages and on the field, takes swing after swing, trying to perfect his stance, his follow through, his eye for the ball, and yet the very best ball players are lucky if they bat 300 maybe 350. That translates to one hit in every three or so at bats. That's as close to perfection as a major league ball player can hope to achieve. It is super difficult to hit a small hard ball coming at you at about 90 miles per hour with basically a big stick If we think about that and transpose those stats to this type of work, well, I think you understand what I'm saying. (laughs) I'll speak for myself here, but I read and study and digest and write and present and collaborate day after day. And although I am always attempting to give it my best efforts in helping people discover commonalities, embrace differences, and talk about race and identity, I am not always going to have the correct solution for each situation. We are not always going to have the right solution. This work is at least as difficult as that fastball hurtling at you at 90 miles an hour. That generally takes mechanics. This requires thought and emotion and understanding. So, (laughs) I want to repeat myself on purpose this time. and request. That if you enjoy these conversations, an audio essay in this case, I urge you to share them with others. If you're on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram or whatever your social media appetites, wherever they may take you, please let others know about this content. I set out to offer help via this podcast and I'm asking you to help as well. This season is chock full of incredible conversations with nine more wonderful guests. I hope within them you'll find value, tools, and practices you can use. Thanks for listening.